Hello everyone, welcome to the show. I hope you've had a wonderful week. I know we've had quite a tough storm here in Luxembourg. Trees down, lots of wind, lots of lots of detritus on the roads. Today is a better day. We're recording this on Friday as always and I'm really privileged to say that I've got three guests in the studio who have come from Estonia and Berlin. So we will talk to them in a few minutes and of course I'm joined as always by my wonderful colleague Sasha Kio. Sasha, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. My cellar's flooded but otherwise oh, I'm well. So it you've was been... quite a storm last night, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Oh gosh, I hope it's not too bad around the Moselle region. It's fine, it does flood quite regularly. <laughs> so you're, well, at least you have a lot of land around there to mop it up and hopefully it's good for the grapes. I'm not sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, of course, as always, we start with the reflection of the week's news. And this week has been um, one of anniversaries, one of um, continued conflicts. And we had the terrible story about Alexei Navalny. Perhaps not surprising. We've known there's been a all sorts of ups and downs in his life in recent years. And we all knew when he returned to Russia, this is a possibility. But but let's start, however, this will go out on Saturday. It will be the second anniversary this weekend of the Ukraine war. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it's the 24th of February, uh, two years ago, that we all woke up with the shock news. Um, I know one of your guests uh, was just talking about it off air, mm-hmm. um, that Russia had, had invaded Ukraine. Um, so this week has obviously been a big build-up to, to this anniversary. I think uh, people are very conscious that Ukraine had fallen off the sort of the the, the main headlines a little bit, um, and it's it's so it, it's it's also been an opportunity I think for the media and for for people to kind of bring it back up into to people's consciousness that mm-hmm. it has been two years, and we know that there are massive issues um, that that are affecting Ukraine now just as much as it was. Was, you know, in the beginning, and the main thing is is weapons, is ammunition. You know, the 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 city of Avdika seems to have fallen to the Russians, and the Ukrainians are saying it's because of the lack of ammunition, and you know the fear of what happens in the U.S. presidential elections, and you know the drying up of funds. You know, these as we know, the the funds are still stuck in the U.S. Um, they have pledged more support. Now, the Europeans are, are still supporting Ukraine. But I think from everything I've read and heard is is everyone is kind of stressing that now more than ever, Ukrainians need European help. Um, and and I think also they they are making we had someone from Ukraine, the, the charity this morning on the on the radio. And the stress is also, you know, it doesn't stop at Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 threat of of Russian aggression on other EU countries, for example, I know in Estonia it's a big concern, um, is is very real. So, for example, last weekend uh, there was the Munich Security Conference, and the Danish Prime Minister said, "You can have all of our weapons now." straight away. Um, and we, we will get more. So I think, you know, this this is as an example of, of European countries really having to rally together. I was at the GovSatcom conference yesterday, which is a space conference dedicated to satellite communication within defence, uh, military satellite communication, and its importance. I think we mentioned Tim Marshall's book, which uh, alludes to this as well, and the fact that war is, is moving up into the atmosphere. Um But what I'm always conscious of is that there are so many different narratives to this story that the best journalists in the world cannot 
be on top of. Yes, you can't just sum it up because no. you, you do you concentrate on the humanitarian situation now. You know, you read about the, the children who haven't been at school for years and, and you know, Yes, do you talk about that? Do you talk about the even military the background, side? Even the do background and the military knows so much that's happening that we cannot talk about. Absolutely. So th there, there are so many layers to this and I, I'm always conscious that we need to just listen to the narratives. Speaking of which, Urva, you are from Estonia, one of my three guests here. Uh, what was it like for you? I know that uh, Estonian Independence Day is this Saturday also, yes. but tell us about the day you heard of the news. Yes, uh, it was shocking, to say the least, waking up in the morning of our celebration day and um, putting on the news or TVs and really seeing that the war has started. It was, it was something beyond our minds. We really, really didn't expect it. Or, yeah, of course, theoretically, we all knew it could happen. But, yeah. It was not pleasant. So we carry it every year when we have our Independence Day, like tomorrow. I feel that we can't really celebrate it in a way we used to, but we always uh, feel our hearts with Ukrainians on that day. Well, let's move uh, to a side story. It's Can I just oh, of say that actually, uh, just bringing it back to Luxembourg, the Ukraine story, there is a big march tomorrow, uh, so it's on Saturday, taking mm. place, uh, yes, in in support of Ukrainians living in Luxembourg and also to remind people to keep giving humanitarian aid and donating and, you know, supporting Ukraine. Um, and that's taking place tomorrow from the Gare to Place Clairefontaine um, from two o'clock onwards. Actually, uh, again, it reminds me of the interview I did a couple of weeks ago with the ambassador from the Czech Republic. And he mentioned how many people have come from Ukraine into the Czech Republic. It's it's a, a large, I think it's 4% of the population now. I mean, it's a, it's a sizable proportion of the population. Um, and of course, all of the other countries, it's it's moved, the story has moved out of Ukraine, of course. And, and it was always a story. It's a global story, of course. It's a global ways. story. And just from a local perspective as well, I mean, uh, Luxembourg has a very small army, but this week have, have announced that they will give 2% of their GDP to NATO. Well, Luxembourg's a very small country, but it's a very rich country with very high mm. GDP. So very this is enormous news. This. Very interesting because a guy I was speaking to yesterday at GovSec.com, before the conference, he'd gone on to see how much uh, of, of uh, budget certain governments spend on um, defence. And out of 31 countries in the EU, uh, Luxembourg came 31. Yes. But that might be because of the country's GDP. But number one was Poland. And then a lot of the other countries were the countries around Yeah, adjoining. Well, we know we know where they might be. Well, I think Luxembourg is, is stepping up with yeah. the current government. You know, Luc Frieden made this this big announcement mm -hmm. in in support of Ukraine and with the two percent pledge. So that's big news. To lighten the mood somewhat, yes. <laughs> if anybody hasn't seen the worst story this week with Luc Frieden, I highly suggest you go and read that story. It's Really, it's really good fun. <laughs> yes, it's a exactly. really happy, fun story. Thank you. Uh, For the worst and, yes. and the wonderful uh, writer of the worst, we know very well, uh, Jean-Paul Gomez, for, for writing that lovely, lovely article about uh, Luc Frieden. Now, moving to Alexei Navalny. Uh, many of us knew him as Russia's most significant opposition leader for the past decade. Um, but of course, this story with his death has 
reminded us of everything that he and his family have endured. Absolutely. So that, so we were uh, informed last Friday, actually, and um, it, it would appear that, you know, the press release kind of went out a little bit too fast, um, you know, straight, straight after. And uh, so, well, let's say US President Biden has put the blame firmly in Putin and the Kremlin's camp. So I think we can quite confidently say that he, he was murdered in this a uh, terrible prison camp in in the arctic circle and um you know the the big question is you know how 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 did it happen um you know the kremlin's uh, official statement said it was he died of natural causes on a walk um but his I, mother hasn't been allowed to see the body yes which suggests poisoning might be a possibility well, exactly. I mean, I, I I heard an interview actually with a with a uh, Russian paper that works out of Russia, the opposition of Gazeta Europe, and they uh, had done an interview with one of the prison guards and also with the doctor who who was there, and um, you know, a great danger to themselves. You know, they also very brave. Um, I mean, obviously, we all think that Navalny was the most courageous and brave man to return to Russia, knowing really what what was quite likely to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, so they they said there were signs of that they had been attempts to resuscitate him and possible signs of a poisoning. But, you know, could, it could have been anything. It, it's so cold there. Well, it could have been natural causes. It, it, you know, you, apparently you just need to stand outside in this, this kind of cold um, for two hours. And anyway, but, you know, uh, Alexei Navalny was a very tough man because, as you said, he had been poisoned before. before yeah. And now his, his widow is, is going to continue his work. I mean, she met uh, President Biden yesterday with her daughter mm. and has pledged to sort of carry on from, from outside of Russia. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about her. She's such what? an elegant, graceful lady. Yes, and to do the rounds mm. straight after this, I suppose maybe it was expected, but you do watch it thinking, mm. how can you speak to EU parliamentarians, the Munich Security Conference, now meet President Biden and keep still? But Well, she's been living his story yes. outside of Russian borders. So yes. I think there was a great partnership there that's bestowed onto their children as well. So um, a very tragic de- death. And, and of course, there is now no opposition in, mm. in Russia with the elections coming up. You know, President Putin has has no opposition really that counts. Mm. Actually, one of the points of conversation yesterday at the GovSatcom conference in the after the conference chatter around the cocktails. Yes. I didn't have any cocktails, of course. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't drink. <laughs> However, it was about democracy today. I mean, this is a topic for another day, perhaps, but the fact that democracy today is not fit for purpose, it's not working. And uh, anyway, we'll we'll put that, if anyone would like to come and talk about this, we would be delighted to have you on the show because I think it's it's almost an urgent topic of conversation. Let's move on to the nether. I'm sorry. I know, so I know. Really I was very sorry and I wrote the list of yeah, topics this week, but I'm afraid. Um, it's been the news. I mean, it's the news that we've had uh, week on week here. And in fact, of course, we're going to move on to the Gaza conflict. And on Wednesday this week, I interviewed uh, two incredible men who have come to Luxembourg to talk about a film they've made called Narrow Bridge. One was Palestinian, one was Israeli. And in their own words, they said they belong to this this club that they don't wish to ever have any more members because um, the club is about bereaved families who have lost a very close family member. In their case, they've both lost a daughter, age 10, age 14, um, through the, the ongoing wars 
in in that part of the world over the last number of decades. Uh, anyway, so the Gaza conflict. We're well, there's a you. lot of shuttle diplomacy going on at the moment. You know, the United States is putting huge pressure on Israel not to attack uh, Rafah, which is this last remaining part of the Gaza Strip where there are over to 2 million uh, Palestinians, uh, civilians there. Mm. And, um, you know, Israel has said that they will make a grand offensive before the start of Ramadan, which is now in under two weeks. Mm. And, um, you know, so as I say, uh, you know, the the, the humanitarian situation is, well, as, as everybody knows, I don't need to outline quite how awful it is. Mm. We've done lots of interviews this week, include, uh, including your interview. Uh, Sam did an interview with the director of Médecins Sans Frontières, um, who is in Gaza working in a hospital, just saying, you know, they, they can really no longer cope. Uh, you know, I heard uh, the head of uh, UNRWA talking today saying they're at breaking point, you know, they they, they cannot manage anymore. Um, meanwhile, I mean, what is big news here in Luxembourg? Just to say also, and again, I, I interviewed the head of Maison um, uh, Frontier here, and um, they are also very courageous people. Just to, oh. to say an enormous thank you to the humanitarian aid workers, because they are working in a place where they don't have communication with their own families or friends. Um, they don't really have food or water or hygiene in the way that they are used to. So they are really putting their own lives to the service of others. Absolutely. When I, I heard the interview, one of the things that really struck me was the head of the Médecins Sans Frontières said that people working for his organisation often had to do make a choice between staying with their families and, and helping the injured. Well, that's a, what a mm. dreadful choice that yeah. is to have to make, yes. And in as far as Luxembourg goes, it's also been quite an interesting week with Gaza because um, the, the uh, relatives of people living in Gaza have been petitioning the government to, uh, to get them out mm. and to bring them to Luxembourg. And the government has refused. I mean, they they have refused saying, we don't think we could get people out of the Gaza Strip. But also this idea of a family reunion, they say, is not possible. So so they're not giving refugee status to any Gazans coming here, if if they could get here. So it's again, it's that's a tough line to to take on the government. Mm. I'm not going to comment on that. I'm going to move to uh, a larger EU perspective, which is um, the second term for Ursula von der Leyen. Yes, so this is, I think, not unexpected that Mm -hmm. she has uh, officially announced that she would like to run for a second term. And I think it's pretty likely to that that she will i don't think it's going to be any opposition to it but it's it's again it's given people the opportunity to kind of look at her achievements in the last 5 years um and and the problems that the european commission um have have had so obviously she kind of guided people people in europe through covid that's that's the the big situation and at the time, there were many issues, as you know, about getting the vaccines in some countries earlier than others. But I think in general, I mean, from what I've read, the 
the opinion seems to be that she managed pretty well. Given that we have other Europeans in the room, uh, I know, I mean, I'm throwing you in here, but if you want to comment on your views of Ursula von der Leyen or what the, the German perspective is, please feel free to dive in. Roland, if you want to say something, this is Roland Silman. Yeah, I can say something because she's coming from Germany. She was a long time in Berlin and I think in Germany she's a kind of role model, especially if she, I think she has six or seven children. Yes. Uh, really a hardworking mom. She did a job even as defense minister in Germany. And, you know, it's one of the hardest jobs to, you can have in Germany because always you have to make decisions which the most people don't like that you have there because until the Ukraine war, the de defense was not an issue the Germans cared much about. And she had this job already in this time. She was candidate for being president in Germany. So I think uh, from the German perspective, see, she's a perfect representative of this German attitude in the European Union. Mm -hmm. Anything you'd like to add, Vessi? No, 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 no. We'll keep it nice and simple there. And of course, the other thing that she's famous for is that she she lives above the shop. They say, you know, she <laughs> she uh, in Brussels, you know, she she sleeps in the office. So you can imagine her her workload. And I think the biggest achievement is is to achieve some kind of European unity towards the war in Ukraine. Mm. Um, the only thing that that seems to be a, a, a mark, but that might be the time as well, is of course this Green Deal that the mm. is so important to the European Union and that has caused, well, these massive farmer protests in the last few weeks and a lot of discontent. Yeah, the Green Deal is an interesting one because uh, they also have a lot of digital policy they want to get. Uh, you know, so, and the two don't always work in unison. They're not parallel because, you know, digital road, uh, you know, paving the way for a digital future for Europe isn't always green. Let's put it this way. There's huge energy costs there as well, which perhaps Roland has a few on as well. I don't know if you want to jump in on this, Roland, because I know you know a lot about the green issues. You know, I think um, in the moment we have in the world something like a war of subsidies. So the United States are giving a lot of subsidies. In China, they have a lot of subsidies. And of course, Europe has to find their own way how they handle all the subsidies to to do something for the economy on the one hand, but to do something for the values in Germany too. And therefore, I think this idea of a Green Deal is the perfect way. I think all digitalization aspects we have to do. This is not a question. And I think then it's the tasks of areas like Atlashof, we will talk later about, uh, is to deliver the energy for IT in a way that it is green. Mm. So I think we cannot make a way that we have to say we save always just energy. No, we need a system where we produce energy and we manage energy in a way that there's no CO2 coming out of it. Mm. And that, I think that's the main topic that we have to solve. Mm -hmm. And then the Green Deal is a perfect way of subsidies you can do. Uh, inspire the European industry on the one hand and on the other hand still stay to the values of Germany because we are Europe. Because yeah, we not just Germany. <laughs> no, to, to, sorry, to Europe. But we cannot do it in the way like the United States are doing it or China are doing it. That's not our way. Mm. Thank you, Roland. And we will talk more about Atlas Hof and your, your green ambitions there uh, in just a few moments. Um, coming back to you, Sasha, this has been on our agenda for a number of weeks, months even now, which is uh, poverty in Luxembourg. Yes, we were talking about uh, Luxembourg's very high GDP, mm. but it isn't evenly spread out. So mm. it's one of the issues that is often not spoken about. Mm -hmm. And that is that one in five people are really struggling in Luxembourg and are on the poverty line. And it's a new study, which I thought was super interesting, is that people 
don't like asking for help. So there is government help out there, uh, you know, with rent subsidies and food subsidies, all sorts of things. But the take up is very low. Well, I think sometimes people coming to live here, like most of our lovely audience, we wouldn't know how to ask for help because, you know, people already take a bit of time to figure out, you know, literally directions, you know, where to live, where to go to school, you know, all the rest of living a normal life. And then on top of that, finding out where, you know, help is available, that's that's not obvious to people. I think it's not obvious, but well, also what this report pointed out is that it you're not always welcome to make these applications. So on a personal level, people uh, feel that the that the person, the people in charge of these allocations are not always very sympathetic. And in mm. fact, that there is a, a lot of shame attached. It's a very different story. So yeah. so that that is, I think, very tough. And also that you need a lot of money to exist in Luxembourg. And that's the thing to remember. With, with We always talk about the, you know, the high rents and the cost of food. But, you know, compared to somewhere in, in Germany, you know, just across the border, we're paying twice as much. So you fall, alert, you fall below the poverty line, very I think, quickly. very quickly. Yeah, yeah one in five is a, is a large proportion. I mean, it's a large. <laughs> I mean, I can just look around the building yes. here. And that, that's a lot of people. Um Something positive is happening this weekend. We have the Festival of Migration, Culture and Citizenship. So that's happening in Lux Expo The Box, uh, Saturday and Sunday, all weekend. It's uh, free to enter. And uh, the two guests I had from Israel-Palestine, they will be there. They will be showcasing their film. Um, it's interesting that this is on this weekend, given the story you've just spoken about with the, the Palestinian people here in Luxembourg. It is interesting. You're right. I'd not made the connection. I mean, this is the part of sort of cosmopolitan Luxembourg that I think we all feel very at home with, uh, you know, rather, rather, it's it's not the only event uh, at Lux Expo that takes place. But I looked at the programme and it's it's super interesting mm. because they are, as you say, they're, they're showing films. There are fashion shows as a Slavic choir. Um, there are tales in Creole workshops. Um, you know, it really is in, in every language. Um, there are, it's a little bit like the International Bazaar, but... But less food orientated. Yes. <laughs> I always Basically, think Basically that's food, isn't it? Yeah. That's absolutely true. This is more culture perhaps. This, I think I mean from from the program I'm sure there will be food available. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. But I think the program was really sort of diverse with talks, films, workshops, um you know, there's also sort of debates for example about um which uh, one of the debates for example is on this issue that we've also spoken about which is homelessness among um male single male migrants in Luxembourg. Mm. So yeah. are are we letting them down? Um, then there was the, the bereaved Palestinian and Israeli families. Mm. Um, there's even line dancing. There's a book and culture fest. I think it sounds fun. I've never been. No, but well, it planning. sounds like a, something to do if you have nothing else to do this weekend. Oh, I mean, no, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> it's going to be well, to especially do. if if you have the <laughs> hundred kilometer hour winds and lashing rain. I think you'll be inside. Hopefully, and you might be inspired. Indeed, and I know you have a fun story to end. Oh, what was my fun story? I've lost my notes. Apes, <laughs> apes like to tease. Oh, yes. Oh, I liked this. This is, this is a story from Leipzig, actually. Leipzig Zoo. Um, are you from Leipzig? No, but we are only... No, but we are only 150 kilometers away. Yes. Yeah. So that is that ape. So this includes chimpanzees and banabi... Uh, I can't say it. Gibbons, uh, gorillas. They, like us, love to tease. And they, they studied them and found that there was a lot of 
poking and running away, you know, from young, and then, uh, but also quite sophisticated ones, you know, where they... Bessie might know about this from the psychological development. I mean, it's a human trait as well. We like to be in an environment where we can have fun, basically. Sure, it's important to have fun and not only duties and eating and all the needed things, really. Mm -hmm. You need to have something to, yeah, to calm down, to relax. And And to build community. To build community, that's... Yeah, that's very important. And that's why they also do groom each other, um, apes groom each other. It's to, to build that bond. Absolutely. But they were doing things like hiding away from people, you know, and playing peekaboo. And, you know, <laughs> this is so fun. I, I, love I like that. that Winding story up too. your mother. That always works, doesn't oh. it? Whoever you are. Oh, it never ends. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha, as always, thank you so it's my much. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, moving on to introduce my other guests in the studio. As mentioned, they've come from Berlin and Talent Estonia. I have Roland Silman, who's CEO of Vista Management. Uh, this looks after Germany's leading science and technology park, which is in Berlin, Adlershof. Uh, you also have a background in solar energy, co-founder of Inventux Solar Technologies. Bessie Fischerbohn, you are from West Berlin. Medical studies led to a deep interest in the psychological background to symptoms and illnesses. You then trained as a psychotherapist for psychological and psychosomatic treatments. Uh, in in clinic, went on to build a company, you're a management consultant for a decade, and now you're head of human resources with Vista since 2019. And uh, moving to you, Urve, Urve Liegbach. I hope I've Well, I've done my best. It's, per- it's Ur- perfect. Urva Livak from yes. Tallinn, Estonia. You're a former world-ranking gymnast. You won two silver medals in the World Championships in aesthetic group gymnastics. And then you moved from gin- from being a coach and, of course, a, a winner uh, to business, culminating in founding your own company, which is Urva.Berlin, to create unique working environments and you're passionate about design in every form. And the reason we have all of you here is to discuss the power of our surroundings to enable high performance. So first of all, I'm going to turn to you, Roland, to explain to us, you, CEO of Vista Management, but really it's about leading the Science and Technology Park. Your raison d'etre is to really fix world problems. Yeah, it is today. You know, it was not our mission always. It's our mission until 2017. In the time and until this, our job was just to create new working places in Berlin. Because you have to know that in after 1989, in this time, we had 380,000 jobs for blue-color workers in Berlin. And in 2012, there have been only 80,000 of them left. So we lost about 300,000 jobs if you compare this to the whole inhabitants of Luxembourg. I think it's half of the of the population of Luxembourg mm-hmm. that lost their job. So our in the beginning, it was just that we should create these jobs based on scientific approaches um, and of something of our... You can say of genomic our genomic code because Atlashof was 100 years ago the second airfield of Europe and there we had a lot of pioneers. Um, in 2017 we could realize we have done this mission, so this mission was accomplished. We had in this time 18,000 jobs there, uh, about 1,000 companies working 
on different topics of high tech. And then we decided that we need a new mission for the whole community. And we made a process, uh, talked with a lot of people in Atlashof. And we figured out that the best mission that fits to Atlashof is to deliver technological solutions for grand challenges like the climate change. And that's not your only one. You have a, a few in mind. Yeah, we have a lot of great challenges <laughs> in mind. We have new materials, material resources. Uh, we work on social cohesion as well because we are totally convinced if we don't have this social cohesion and this this tolerant mind in the society, and like we have heard from the news now in the moment, there's a, a lack of trust in democracy because you have one crisis after the other. And if we don't have this environment, then true innovation is not possible and we will have no possibility to solve great challenges if we don't have this trust in technology, this trust in tolerance and this freedom of people to just work together, bring in their ideas and don't think, oh, is this a good idea or not an idea? Just do it. Just work together and just create something new. And this is, Bessie, where you come in because you have been analysing this for your whole career and education as well. You truly believe in developing psychologically safe environments to harness the best talent and to give people the freedom to talk about their ideas. So can you, I mean, it's a huge topic. <laughs> Why do you care about this? When did the spark occur for you? Um, well, there are different aspects. Um, one of it is that I'm really convinced that we need everybody to put in everything they have so that they're really encouraged to bring in all their idea, all their, their backgrounds. And when we want them to do that, we have to create an atmosphere and a culture where they feel safe. And I, I realized that by myself, when I worked on my different, what you mentioned before, on my different places in, in my career, that um, I always was as good as I could be when I felt the safety. And I think that's an important thing for Adler's Hof because we want to have all these scientists and founders to bring in their idea to um, find these solutions or bring uh, go a step in the way to find solutions. And that's why they, we have to train them to bring um, yeah, these ideas into the companies in Atlas World. And in fact, there's some very clear papers that have, um, I, I'm just looking at my notes here, but effectively I can remember it. Google, for instance, have done mm -hmm. a paper. So talk us through some of the very clear evidence. Yes. So it's really um, proven, um, and Google did a, a research for that. They looked um, which of their teams are really the ones that are um, innovative at a very high level. Mm. And the ones that are really um, innovative um, teams are not the ones that match perfectly together. That what is an idea the last decades that we have to build up teams where they're really perfect matches. But they're the ones that are really in innovative and encouraged um, in their studies and in their developments are the ones where uh, psychological safety is built up by the leaders. And psychological safety is not something personal, but it's something that lives in the culture. But psychological safety, because I know you care about this from mm. childhood onwards and, and you've done all sorts of research in it yourself. Um, do you think our educational system develops psychological safety? No. For a quick answer is no. <laughs> but of course, it's not, not that, that easy to answer. The but reason I ask is because, of course, you, you see great minds. You have yeah, wonderful yeah. scientists uh, yeah. working there who have probably done very well in their exams, etc., yeah. etc., et to get to where they are. But then you're, you're, you're readapting that. You're doing all the connections again in the brain because they've been 
you know, I imagine the scientists you have there on the whole will have passed exams, gone to good universities, got their PhDs, etc. But then in order to work together in very diverse groups, they have to change their working habits. Yes. They they have to learn that that they don't have that that not only one perspective is important that all the perspectives are important that's links to diversity but um, in from to look at the children it's really important that they learn that they can failure that they can make mistakes and um, that we trust in them that they will will find their way and that sometimes you have to try again and again and again and that's something that links to the research. Um, business that you you will won't find a solution by the first try. Yeah, and I remember two of the very clear examples that everybody can understand is, you know, a surgeon, if he is to make an error, the nurse often knows in advance, but needs to have the confidence and an open space to say so. And the same with companies that are about to go bankrupt, the employees often know in advance. Yes, yes, that's that's absolutely true. When um, and and you really need to know as a CEO or somebody who runs a company, you need to know what's going wrong. Mm. And you need to know when they, they are in the market that the, the other companies are doing something you never thought about and you need your employees to tell you. And mm. so it, it's really a very um, fundamental thing that you create this atmosphere that everybody has can have the courage to stand up and say something that's going wrong. And then both of you, and I think Roland, you met Urva, and Urva, your life has changed hugely. I know that, you know, as mentioned, you are this uh, fabulous gymnast winning awards, and I can only imagine the type of mindset you need to, to be on that driven path. And then you also experienced something in your own life, a burnout of a kind, which completely transformed how you think about things. So if you don't mind, talk us through a little bit of that. Yes, as you said, uh, being a gymnast or doing any kind of sports in a high level, it needs some typical attitude. Uh, there, are, there is lots of pushing, lots of... Um, only achieving goals, etc. So um, it's tough. Uh, but yes, uh, life brought me to totally different path. And, um, and now creating the spaces or the environments for Vista, uh, Vista projects is something that is really close to my heart. Because as you told as well, for some personal aspects. Um, and I'm trying to deliver my own experience into the atmospheres. Uh, so I think we will talk more about the environments a bit later. Well, I, I mean, firstly, the question is, why does it matter? Why does the ambience around us matter so much? Why does it psychologically help us to perform in a happier way, in a way where we can deliver our best work? Why does it matter? It does. Environment uh, affects us in a way we can't really uh, tell. We don't see it. We don't really feel it if we don't think about it. But uh, for instance, being in a really, let's say, minimalistic, clean, really like, let's say, white environment, like hospitals, clinics, etc. You are not too creative there. And as for instance, uh, Vista is uh, like trying to solve the grand challenges as Roland already mentioned, then we need the atmosphere that 
supports the create creativity, uh, innovation, inspiration, being together with people, collaborating, integrating, and so on. So that's why these areas and the work environments that today we are already creating and uh, which are in process, they are all um, living exactly the example that we want to have, that people would go into the environment and they would feel that, okay, it's, it's good to be here. Mm. I am uh, relaxed. I am uh, comfortable. I feel safe, as Bessie told. One thing is, of course, the cultural part that leaders have to do and uh, manage around it. But the environment is the other aspect, which really um, can create the safe environment or can do the opposite. And you've done that by creating different zones. I know that you have all yes. of these different zones so that people can can feel this atmosphere of cooperation. I know tolerance and diversity is a, is a big part of what you talk about, mm -hmm. Bessie in particular, uh, and lifelong learning as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for my uh, like position or job, uh, I started and I always start with the analyze of the demand. And throughout that, of course, uh, collaborating with different parties as well. Is it the CEOs? Is it the departures? Is it the departments? Sorry. Um, and so on and so on. I'm gathering all the information to really first understand what is the need behind it. Mm -hmm. And uh, for instance, for the Vista projects, we do have now really specific different zones. Um, and I would actually like to really shortly point that out as well, because each zone supports some specific area. Then the first uh, zone, of course, is the regular, let's say, workplace, but of course, again, created in a way that we could be focused. It's quiet. You have this private area. You can really work really efficiently. So as, as our colleague said this morning, it's not an open plan office. Absolutely not. It's not like regular co-working where the plan is totally open. We have different size of uh, offices. Uh, even each workplace uh, is private. We have acoustics. We have different separation areas and so on. So that you wouldn't feel like naked in the room, let's mm. say it like that, because we need to have this kind of safe and privacy. We are private people, you know. But then you also have the places to meet people and to discuss. Exactly. And I would say that this is one of the most important parts, I would say, especially coming from our background, that we want to solve the challenges. People need to come together and interact and collaborate in order, again, to be creative, to get new ideas, to inspire each other and share the things, thoughts, etc. There, the snowball will start to grow, you know. And you have some parts of the, the buildings where people can accidentally bump into one another as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's super important that you have this. And, you know, it was for us, especially after COVID-19, it was a special topic because we had to realize that more and more, especially young talent, they like more to work remote. Yeah, and I can understand this. They save commute time. It's easier to bring together career and leisure. That's all fine. But we are totally convinced and we know that true innovation will only come when diverse people come together and they get creative and they find new solutions. And so for us, it's important to create spaces where they say it is so much better to work there. Mm. So I will take this commuting time because it's so much better. Because I have to come in, I have to feel good and all my 
demands have to be fulfilled because we will only create this tolerant atmosphere and aspects when people come together. From doing video conferences, you will not create tolerance. And tolerance and diversity is, in our point of view, it's not only a moralic imperative, which of course it is. It is an absolutely necessity business-wise. So you can only run this true innovations when you have a diverse and tolerance atmosphere. And I know uh, this isn't being done in a vacuum. You're also working with Humboldt University to analyze the results of this. Would you yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about more? You know, we put in, so when we talked about this new space, our first idea for the, for the name was all in, because we said, okay, we put in all we know today. We will put all in one space, all the things we know about health, all the things we know about concentrated work of cooperation. But of course, we are aware this is all we know today. And it's and we will learn because there is no such space in the world. We know no one of this. And so we work together with Humboldt University in the next three years. They will check it all the time. They will make interviews. They will get some new findings. And then we will improve the space mm. all the time. And Bessie, I want to turn to you because really all of this is ultimately to attract and retain the best talent. So what do you believe uh, will attract and maintain the best talent? I think one thing is um, the development. And when we can provide, um, we, we founded, let me shortly point out, the Vista Academy and this idea because we can bring in all the needs of the companies in Adlershof. And then we can, we are, we are now building up a program where which all the companies can use. So um, we, we can provide for the high professionals um, a way how they can develop them further. Mm -hmm. And um, that's very important because it's a main point, I think, for everybody, this personal development. And, and diversity, along with the Vista Academy, you, you're also behind the Diversity Day that you have there at Vista and something that's yeah. very dear to your heart. Why is that so important to keep talking about? It feels like mm. we all know about it, but what is it we don't know? Yeah, yeah but well, what, what um, Roland just mentioned, we all know the rainbow flag and we see the um, um, CSD parades and everything, And but that's That's only on the surface. And I think when we look f um, further down, we see that really important persons in, 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 the, in the public are in, in Germany not really out. And mm. so, for example, I think that's something that, you know, I'm a bisexual woman and um, I don't know any others in a position like I am. Nobody t talks about it. And and when we want to find new ways and be innovative and what I said before with this psychological safety, we have to train um, the, the leaders, the managers, that um, they have to Yeah, create this atmosphere to really diverse teams so that everybody can feel safe and bring everything in they have. Well, it's very interesting you mentioned that and thank you for saying that on air because uh, hopefully we can develop an atmosphere of psychological safety so that people like you and certainly you're not alone. There's many of you, but you don't know the others no. because <laughs> they don't talk about yeah. it. Um, but Again, we have to also develop psychological safety in the media, mm -hmm. but with social media, that's where a yeah. lot of fear, it can be good and bad. It can create movements for good. And of course, um, you have an amazing experience here because you grew up in West Berlin, so you lived through an awful lot of change. Mm -hmm. 
maybe seas of change, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Talk us through a little bit of your, your history and how it has been for you. Yes, yeah. I, um, I, um, yes, I, I feel good. Thank you very much for that. Um, yes, um, when the wall fell down, I was 19 years old and just finished school. And I had the dream to go in the world. But then the wall fell down and I said, no, I I'm not able to leave Berlin. Because it was so interesting and such a big change for everybody who lived there. And in this age, there were so many new... Yeah, just new dreams possible, new clubs, no atmosphere, new atmosphere. And but I started then um, studying medicine, and but during the studies and afterwards, I realized that I think the main thing is the psychological um, thing. It's it's not it's, many of the suffering of of our now of our culture is coming from the psychological subject. So I I then moved on to this. But I think you were mm-hmm. very young. It's not a normal. Well, I do. Mm. It's not a normal. It's not the most obvious route for a medical student to move into or to notice or to even be taught. I can imagine mm. more of this is taught yeah. now. But back then, it's you, about all about role models, I think. So you had some very good yes. ones. Yes, because when you look in all this, the subjects in a typical hospital, it was very uh, men dominated. And there was one really inspiring woman in this subject where I went to. It's it's really about role model, and that's what I learn at the moment also. That when we 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 with this diversity festival, what what we are doing in May, we are really looking for role models because they are so important for young women, but also for queer people, for just just people to see. Well, there is a way mm-hmm. for me. And we have the phrase in English, of course, if you see it, you can be it. Yes, yeah, and it's, it's as totally true. As that. Roland, turning back to you, um, we've spoken in the past and perhaps in the past, again, I suppose it goes down towards capitalism, democracy, etc. Um, people used to think that if the salary is big enough, you will attract people. But that's not always the case and certainly not these days. And you specifically look for impact driven people. Yeah, that's totally true. And you know, when you said before to Bessie, uh, how do you get the best people? For us, it's not to get the best people. It's good to get the highly motivated. Well, you impact. can question what does best, yeah, what is best, what yeah, does best yeah, mean. Best is not, uh, no matter what you think about. But for us, the people that we need are impact oriented and they're highly motivated. Because, you know, Berlin is a city, uh, if you compare to Luxembourg, the salaries are quite low, but the life conditions or the costs of living are much lower as I don't well. think you can compare <laughs> Berlin and Luxembourg. No, no, you cannot. But, you know, therefore, we cannot pay the highest salary in Adlershof. This is not our approach. But what we can offer new talent and existing talent is really great jobs. And if you really are impact oriented and you have your personal mission, you want to change something, you want to shape the future, then we give them the best environment. But what we have to be aware of in this case, um, it is scientifically proved that people that are impact oriented uh, have a higher risk of burnout, for example, than people that are just working for a high salary. And therefore, it's again important, especially for these people to create an environment where they are safe to not get the burnout or if they had a burnout to easily come back mm. because then we have to integrate them again mm-hmm. because there are not so many super high talented impact oriented talents so this one that we have we should use them all we should give them all the environment they need to really bring a perfect output well i i know i alluded to the fact and and you've been again thank you for being honest about the burnout that you experienced because i can imagine urva you know, being a gymnast with everything that requires of 
your entire body, you are the instrument of your work, effectively, um, you crashed. Absolutely. That's a story that we're hearing more and more. It's certainly something we hear through the workplace. And that's why, along with these different zones, within them, you have um, a mind spa area and a movement area. Yes, yes. Coming back to my story uh, a bit more, I have actually uh, suffered severe depression now over 10 years, which actually also people don't know. My uh, really dear colleagues here uh, do know it, but overall I have keep it as a secret. And for years I have seen that it really haven't helped me like that. Well, so, people looking at you, this beautiful young lady. Yeah. Nobody can guess that absolutely. because they can't see it. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, the performance mode is coming from my gymnastics period. And uh, I am like an expert how to put this performance mode on. But of course, it also gives the other people the feeling that uh, is it really true that uh, she is suffering something? Uh, I think she's just like the depression is like a modern world word today. And so, yeah, but I have suffered a long time and um, I thought uh, decided now as well that I will come out. I want to support other people who are in the same position as I am. And this is actually where I'm getting uh, all the ideas and the power into the environments that I'm creating. So um, again, coming back to the zones that you mentioned as well, the most close to my heart zone, of course, is the relaxation area where um, we have really, really interesting products like you mentioned, the Mind Spa, which takes you to the like zero gravity position. You are listening to the music, you have some specific lighting and even fragrances and you can really switch yourself off for let's say 15 minutes and then go back to your dedicated work and work really efficiently. And um, Knowing today, because of the wars, because of the corona, home office, etc., people are suffering so heavy stress constantly. And that means that now more than ever, we have to take this into consideration when we are creating these environments. Because just giving them a desk and a chair, it's not enough. They need to know for instance, the people like me who already have some serious issues, some of them even struggle coming to the office. Mm. I was one of them. I couldn't get up even from bed. It's, it's devastating, I have to say. And these people who are really, they are needed. They, they still need to work. They still need to earn money for their living and for their families, etc. And that means they have to usually go to the office. And in that case... It is my, I, I would say, really like a mission to create offices in a way that they feel that they can go there because even when they are working there, they feel at some point that, okay, everything is too much. I need to calm down. They know that there is this product or this area. They can go sit in the fireplace or swing and talk with somebody and really calm down. Take the moment for themselves. It's, it's crucial. I can't say anything more. I, I love the idea of the swings and this relaxation. And when you're discussing all of this, I think, Roland, you mentioned earlier, you don't think this exists anywhere else in the world. Mm. I, 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 
I think this sounds like a very nice working environment. It also brings me back to Sasha's story this morning about the apes and the mm-hmm. apes playing together. If you want to jump in, uh, what do you think? What do you think about this work environment, Sasha? Well, I think it's super interesting. I think first of all, I want to say I think it's really impressive that that you've taken some adversity and turning it into something positive. Mm. But for example, our building has these spaces, but I think we're not encouraged to use them. Yes, so, correct. Yes. So That's I what's think the leadership. This, this is very interesting. We have mm. the sofas, we have the mm-hmm. flippers and the games. Mm. But I've never seen anyone in the newsroom mm. feel comfortable. But we do have a funny it. story about the sofas that I think you're referring to. Oh, yes. Well, the other thing is, this is my complaint, being a little bit older than most people in the newsroom, is the sofas are all floor level. Yeah. Um, so I, I said, well, these are totally ageist because I don't know who's going to get up from them unless you're 20. But uh, maybe the point is to lie down in zero gravity <laughs> with some headphones on. Yeah, but yeah. you mentioned a very good thing there, Sasha. I wanted to come to leadership because that's the other, the other circle. Mm. It really is a circle. I mean, first of all, Bessie, I wanted to ask you, given everything, and thank you so much for for being so open and honest. I really appreciate that. And of course, I know this story isn't a solo story. I have to say, I can be that open because I feel safe here because of the people. This is like the same, like the uh, work culture. You need to feel safe as well as the environment. I would never talk like this if uh, I wouldn't feel good among these people and in this room. Thank you. Thank you so much. And all of the good that you, Roland, and I know Bessie have done and worked together as a team here. I wanted to ask you, Bessie, first of all, before we move to the second point of of great leadership and how to develop that. First of all, as as a worker, an employee, how much of yourself should you bring to work and how much of yourself should you keep to yourself? That is a very, very personal question and I'm not able to answer it. Because it really depends on your personality. And people are really, some people are really open and like to talk about themselves and they get their energy out of the reactions of the others. And, um, but other people, um, have the feeling that they lose their energy and some of them, of themselves when they are talking about, uh, too much about themselves. So I think it's really a personal thing. I can't. I, I, I can't answer it in a different way. I'm thinking about our <laughs> office chat. Mm-hmm. We, we can have all sorts of office chat. I think we, we go deep and personal. <laughs> yeah. yes. but, I but was wondering I, if that's a I, female I presume, thing. I presume that you know each other very well. Nah? And that's something yeah. that really, um, yeah, that's something that not starts from the first day you come into an office. No, something no that's true. That you know, when you know each other for a long time, like Roland and me are knowing, we're knowing each other for a long time then you you are more open than when you just start somewhere. But so then great leadership. You're looking at Roland. Mm-hmm. Is he a great leader? <laughs> well, he's my chef. <laughs> he's, he's, I know, I'm, <laughs> asking, I'm asking a pointed question Yes, here. but, but yeah. I think when I, when I may, if I really may answer in, a, in an honest way, we are, we, 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 are good, we are like two sides of a medal. You're a team. Um, we are a really good team. And mm. um, that's, yeah, he's a really good leader. But what makes a great leader? I mean, uh, Roland, I'm not going to ask you if you think you're great. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think in principle it's not that complicated. The only thing is you have to know the difference between management and leadership. So a manager wants just to reach his goals and therefore he uses some controlling instrument and that's it. But he's really focusing on the goal. As a leader, of course, you have to focus on the goals of your company and this. But the main way should be to develop your stuff. 
So if your stuff gets better and better day by day. Stuff, not stuff. Stuff. Okay. Develop your stuff. (laughs) My employees. (laughs) So if you develop your employees and getting them better and better every day, then you will reach your goals. You will even reach more of your goals. But you then really have to focus on this human talent Mm. and not only on this goal that you have to have a high turnover or something like this. You must really keep focus on your employees. That's the most important thing. If I may add, you also have to have a vision and Mm. to share this vision with your team. So good communication with the team. Very good communication, open communication, safe communication. So, um, yeah, that's what a leader is. And a leader is also authentic. So um, and, and communicates and behaves in an authentic way, so um, that people realize well it's real what he or the she, she say, says and expects from me. Mm-hmm. You must be, you know, you must be really a role model. So when we talk about these swings, I will use them. So all others will <laughs> well, see. It's I'm allowed sure. to use them. I would like to you see know? that photo. You have to send me. A photo I will do it. No yes. problem. Not the yeah. One. Yeah. So really, to to wrap up the show, I just want your your final thoughts on everything that you've done. I mean. You've you've done so much, and not only do you get out of bed now, you fly to Berlin from your home. I mean, really, you have really, as Sasha said, turned university into an extraordinary success. Yeah, you know, the cross border business um, is not easy. Uh, I have also two children, and uh, emotionally, it's it's challenging to be fair, not only for them but also for me because I'm really attached to them. So this is one point. The other point, of course, is the flying. And really, in Estonia, you don't really get direct flights. So that means that the commuting time for me is like... Even to Berlin? No, it's only for summer period, like few months of the year. Then I have the honor to fly directly. (laughs) Yeah, so it's um, especially uh, for a person like me, my, my energy level is really low, to be say, uh, truthful. And to all the time travel, it's not easy. Your energy level is really low, possibly <laughs> comparing yourself back to when you were an elite <laughs> gymnast. But you are, I think, the only one here who's gone for a, an X kilometer mile this morning before breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think your energy is yeah, that it's, low? Um, You're comparing yourself to yourself, let's say. Uh, that as well, of course. I'm really, really critical about myself. But um, that comes also from the gymnastics time, uh, the discipline. Everything I do is based on discipline. Otherwise, I would be in bed. So, Bessie, so. I have to turn to you then. How, For somebody with this mentality, how do you help them to kind of just maybe lower their expectations a tiny <laughs> bit, take the edge off perfection so that we can cope with everything that life throws at us? Well, one good um, step is humor. As we mentioned, as we realized now in this moment that when you um, when you go on a, with a, a slightly humorous way, it's it's a good reflection um, for, for people who are really um, suffering from things like that. But the second thing is to to get in touch with your body in a different way, not only the gymnastics with the discipline and the goal, but maybe with a more relaxed and yeah comfortable way. You need to force her to take her own mind spa action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, actually, the, or we are developing together with the producer mm. a new mind spa in the future in a collaboration with Humboldt University. Mm. So in every way, it's a really, really fascinating project for us, for other people, and even for the suppliers who are delivering the furniture. This sounds like a spin-off company in the making. 
Or I think it's just the support and using all our experience for the things. But mm. I think what I would like to add is how you can support people like Urva in the situation or how you can support often talent. If you just show them you're creating in the moment an amazing space. Nobody has done it before. It will not be finished at the opening. You don't have to finish it to the opening. It's, it has not to be perfect in the opening. We will make it perfect in the next three years. But now just make a start point. Mm. And I think if you can in all ways you're working make this clear to your employers it's not that all has to be perfect all the time and you Do can make you mistakes can. and you can make mistakes that's totally okay make these mistakes we all are doing mistakes then we will improve it again then you take tensions out of them because they know okay they can just try they can do and then they will pay it you back 100 thousand times well before i make a mistake and go over the hour <laughs> <laughs> thank you all so much i'm deeply honored that you've come here and and visited us at rtl in luxembourg and i hope rtl deutschland are listening to this and take you up because you really are leaders in your field and the work that you're doing i'm sure can give so much positive benefit for many companies be they small or large thank you all of my guests and thank you so much for listening we would love your feedback about where you work please write in and tell us more about that. The Lisa Burke Show. 